The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We are going to be continuing in uh, our look. It's a new study and a new series uh, that we're doing that I'm really excited about. Looking through the book of James, and as we look through the book of James, we're looking at it as field notes uh, for the Christian life. Really coming to it and seeing from James that it grants us great and deep perspective into life. People are regularly asking the question, Bill, how do I discern God's will? Well, the best and easiest way to discern God's will is to read his word. Uh, for in it, he tells us exclusively, uh, this is what I desire from you. This is how you should respond in these situations. This is what you should do here, there, and otherwise. This is how I want you to live your life. So that's the first and primary way. And James is a great book to go to because James is filled uh, with declarations and statements about this is what you should do uh, in the Christian life. So if you're a doer, you're somebody who likes to know what do I need to be doing, uh, James is the book for you in that. And in that, we're going we're gonna to learn this week, we're going to be talking about how do we deal with, how do we navigate life's difficulties. How many of you have experienced difficulty in life? That's it? Let's try it again. How many of you have experienced some difficulties at any level? There you go. All of us have. So the question then becomes, how do I navigate these things? As a Christian, how do I navigate these things? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. I don't want to assume upon you. You're sort of investigating this thing. And so I want you to hear and to peek in and see, oh, this is how God has called me to live or navigate difficulties which come because guess what is not guess what is absolutely identical between the non-christian and the christian it's the struggle of life christians and non-christians will experience the very same struggles in this life they'll just experience them differently and the the answers to the questions are different in the midst of them and so we invite you to come and to struggle with us in that as we look at difficulties this week we're going to talk about wisdom Uh, we're going to talk about prejudices within our lives Uh, we're going to look at how we we live together peaceably in, in those things and so it's going to be a good series over the next several weeks this morning if you have your bibles you can flip over to james Uh, chapter 1. I'm actually going to read the first 18 verses, which I don't think I told the guys back in the back. You do have that. Awesome. They're so far ahead of me. Uh, Basically what they realized is put too much in and we can cut it because Bill always adds uh, stuff. And uh, the first 18 verses of James, this is God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, or you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness uh, having its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is God's word. Father, we ask now that you would bless this time, that you would give us deep and profound insights into your word, that we would humble ourselves and sit under its authority and not above it, and that we would learn from you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that we look at in this section is very simple. It's, it's rudimentary. It's on a very kindergarten level. But it's right there in verse 2. And it's a misunderstanding that has happened throughout the course of Christian history. And this is it. Everybody experiences difficulties. Everybody experiences difficulties. There's a belief, and it says there in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's a belief and a misunderstanding within the church and a belief and a misunderstanding some who look into the church that as you grow as a Christian, as you mature, as you've been around this thing a little bit longer, as you've been in the church for years and years, that you're not going to experience difficulties. That you've come to Jesus and you were sold a bill of goods. And maybe some well-intending pastors sold it to you and maybe some with mixed motives trying to fill a church or uh, fill a roster sheet uh, were selling you a bill of goods that went something like this, come to Jesus and everything's going to be fine. Come to Jesus and all your relational problems are going to go away. Come to Jesus and your children are going to be wonderful little godly angels in your home. Come to Jesus and your financial issues are going to be taken care of. Uh, God will provide for you all that you have. Come to Jesus and you're going to be happy and content in your life. Maybe some of you were sold that bill of goods. Now the danger with that is, number one, uh, it's a lie. It's not true. Uh, And... Whenever you believe a lie, a non-truth is going to lead to your demise. And what happens when you believe that truth that you shouldn't experience difficulty in life, and as we saw just a few minutes ago, all of you raised your hands, that all of you at some level have experienced various trials and difficulties in your life. Therefore, when you've bought into that lie and then a difficulty and a trial comes, you're totally derailed. It's caught you from left field. You've been sucker punched because you believed a lie that said, if I love Jesus, everything's going to be fine. If I love Jesus, then how is it that cancer invaded my life? If I love Jesus, how is it that death came and visited my home? If I love Jesus, how is it that divorce happened? If I love Jesus, how is it that I lost a child? How is it that my children are crazy and wild? How is it that my parents are crazy and wild? How is it that I didn't get a date? How is it that I'm married to this person? All the different things that we go through. How is it that I lost my dog or my goldfish or whatever the trial is? The interesting thing about the language that that James uses here, he says various trials. It doesn't say they have to be catastrophic trials. It doesn't say that they have to be persecutions from the Romans against the Christians and that you're facing uh, fiery pits and burn. He does mention those. Those are included within the various trials. But he said you're also just simply experiencing the trials which are common to this life. The trials which are common to this life. The difficulties of making it from day to day to day. And so I want to put out there right from the get-go 
difficulties are the norm of the Christian life, not the abnormal thing. The, the difficulties of life are common uh, to us. One writer, Douglas Moo, wrote it this way, a trial or a difficulty is anything in life that may threaten our faithfulness to Christ. It is anything that in life that may threaten our faithfulness to Christ. And so it depends on sort of where you are on the continuum, what that is. Some of you, you can make it through the little things, it's the big things that derail you. Some of you, it's the little things that seem to derail you constantly. Uh, and, the, and so we look at these things and we're going to get a sense of them. One other writer put it this way, pastor said, anything that can happen to anybody can happen to a Christian. Anything that can happen to anybody can happen to a Christian. It's basically saying, guys, all of us are going to experience these things. I've been in ministry a pretty long time. And I've been around a lot of folks, and I'm a pastor's son, and so I've been in the church and in the manse uh, for a long time. And I've seen a lot of people who have been caught off guard when difficulties come. They didn't expect them. I still remember uh, in my own life, I had such a, a warped theology. I loved Jesus, uh, and I was going to go into ministry. But I had this warped sense that, okay, God, now I've left uh, banking. I've given my life to you as a Christian. Then I left banking. Then I've decided to go into ministry. And I'm going to go and do this thing. Uh, and so I know you're going to bless me. And then you've brought me this wonderful, beautiful woman to marry. And Lisa and I fell in love. And then all of this stuff started to happen in our life. We were together and all of a sudden my dad died. And that was rough. And we had already quit our jobs and we couldn't leave to go to Boston where we were going to go to school. And so we had to stay in Charlotte. And as you all know, the very best thing for a new relationship between a husband and a wife is to live in the home of the grieving mother-in-law. I mean, that is just the best incubator for a healthy marriage. And so we were living with my mom and both of us were unemployed or underemployed at that time. We'd left our well-paying jobs and we were going to go follow Jesus and serve him. And I got a job. And I was thankful for a little while until one day I'm crawling on my, literally crawling uh, on my elbows underneath the house because the job I had was working with a guy who fixed toilets that were broken. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't going to go under the house to diagnose the problem. Have you ever seen the Green Mile? No, not the Green Mile, the uh, Shawshank Redemption where he crawled that. I was literally crawling through that. I was gagging and I was sick and I was literally covered in poop. And I stopped under this house, covered in human nastiness. I said, God, I didn't sign up for this. I quit the bank. I've given up all of my wild ways. I'm not doing the things that I used to do. I'm loving Lisa. I'm married to her. I'm pursuing you. And I'm covered in crap. I don't get it. Some of you are going, don't ever say that, children. Children, don't ever say that word. (laughs) But that's where I was. I actually had a different word in mind. And it was just, I was there. And I go, this isn't supposed to happen to me. Because I bought into a lie. That maybe little difficulties were supposed to come, but not the big catastrophic ones. Not for Christians who really love Jesus. They're not supposed to experience those things. And it derailed me. Deep down, my heart and my life got off the tracks. At that moment, and Lisa could tell you, which I hope she won't publicly, how it affected our marriage for years and still does at some level. 
Because when we get caught blindsided, often what happens is we lead to despair. But for me and for others, you lead to resentment. That you resent this God who you're serving and you don't fully trust him anymore. That you want to, that you sort of do, but deep down there's just this fear that, oh no, what else is going to come down the pipe? I can't handle any more God. And God, in his loving way to us, said, Bill, you can handle more if you trust in me. And we lost three children to miscarriage. We struggled with that. We struggled with moving. We struggled with ups and downs. We struggled with things. And what we've found is in the midst of our struggle, this to be very, very true. Count it all pure joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials. Because in the experience of these trials... It leads to a testing of your faith, which leads to a perseverance within your life, which ultimately leads to a crown of life that you can't receive any other way. I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to diminish your trials. James isn't trying to diminish your trials. He's not saying, hey, consider it all joy. Hey, you should be happy, happy, happy in the middle, to quote Psy. That's our theology. Maybe we should just be happy, happy, happy in the middle or maybe I don't remember which character it is of the show, but I remember somebody standing out in front of me saying, Bill, you'll never be able to get this until you thank God for the death of your father. I was like, I can't, what? He had taken that considered all joy, and what that really means is this. When you begin to gain a godly and a heavenly perspective on how life works, You can begin to experience a joy even in the midst of devastating circumstances that comes from no place else. And that joy comes from knowing that God is still absolutely in control of your life. And he's absolutely still there with you and he's guiding and directing you. And there's a purpose to all of this. It's not just blind fate. It's not just chance and it's not just the fact that you have a certain number of times to go around this world and at the end of the day you die. But he says there is a purpose and there is a meaning to every difficulty that you have ever experienced in your life. You may not hear anything else that I say the rest of this morning, but I want you to hear that. There is a purpose and a meaning to your story. It's not just chance. It's not just some abstract that's written out there in the universe. But the God who created you and formed you and knew you even before he made you in your mother's womb, has said, I have created you and I've created every step that you are going to take and I promise you that I have the ability and will redeem it. I will redeem it at the end of the day. Is that good news for any of you? Gosh, it is for me. Because I have a hard time with this first one. I get that difficulties come. My hard time comes with consider it all joy. And what he's saying there isn't consider the totality of it joyful. He's saying consider it pure joy. Consider it a refined joy. Consider it a joy in the middle of it all that can't come any other place. That we have this joy. That our response is never expected to be exclusively joy. But we have a joy because we understand the greater scheme of what God is doing in our lives. So the first thing you need to know is difficulties are a part of the Christian life. Second thing you need to know and pick up from James here that he teaches us is our difficulties, what I've already alluded to, our difficulties in life have a greater purpose. Our difficulties in life have a greater purpose. 
Some of you who believe in the sovereignty of God, you would fall down the steps, and as you got down to the end of the steps, here's what your response would be. I'm glad I got that out of the way. You just think that God and his sovereignty and his providence has got all these things orchestrated, and you're just supposed to get through them. That you're just supposed to make it through to the other end. Verses 3 and 4 attack that. They say, count it all joy, my brethren, verse 2, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I love the fact that he gives us the various kinds. Because the trial of a four-year-old is different from the trial of an 84-year-old, but they're still trials. The trial of a teenager is different from the trial of somebody in their 40s who's married him. I, I used to hate it when people would go, well, as a college student, you know what the people, the condescending statement, they'd say, well, when you get to the real world, well, I don't know, college seemed incredibly real to me. The difficulties of college seemed incredibly real to me. And then when I was single and I was 20-something and they would, older people would try to help me and go, well, when you get into the real world, which meant when you get old like me, well, what I found is this, the real world is whatever part of the world you're in right now. And the difficulties you're experiencing, he says this, know about these difficulties, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering and difficulties have a purpose of testing and strengthening our faith. They are not there because of a lack of faith. Make sure you get that. You are not being tested. You are not having difficulties in your life because you lack faith. He is saying this is a testing. This is a way for which God is taking your faith, which you currently have. Maybe it's a huge faith. Maybe it's a small faith. But he's taking that faith that you have. And he is setting it within the crucible of trials and difficulties. And he's going to say through this experience, I am going to refine it. And I'm going to make your faith deeper and more pure in the midst of it. And I'm going to do that through difficulties and trials. So all of a sudden, it gives meaning and significance to your difficulties and trials. That all of a sudden, you can begin, as we've said over and over, ad nauseum here. And my family has to get it over and over ad nauseum. I was just talking to one of my sons who's experiencing something. I said, you know what we're supposed to do in the middle of all these difficulties? He said, I know, Dad. We're supposed to ask God two questions. I said, do you remember what they are? Yes, sir. They're to say, God, what am I supposed to learn about you in the middle of this? And what am I supposed to learn about me? If you can remember to ask those two questions in whatever situation you find yourself, God will begin to teach you something. God, in the middle of this trial, be it a big one, a small one, but whatever the trial and the difficulty you have, what is your greater purpose and plan in the middle of it? Because right now, my eyes are fixed on a very low horizon. All I can do is be stuck right here. All I can look at is the train wreck that is right here in front of me. All I can do is sit in the midst of the rubble and the chaos and the wounds and the scars that I bear and all of this, and I can't see beyond it. So God, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to help lift me past it so that I can see above it that you actually have a plan and a purpose for this. So God, what am I supposed to learn about you in the middle of this? And what am I supposed to learn about me? If you can ask those two questions, you will grow in your Christian life. If your Christian life is stunted, if you have plateaued, if you are sort of stuck, I promise you it's because you're not asking very good questions. And if you are asking the questions, you hate the answers that you're given. You ever asked a question of somebody, they give you an honest answer, and you're like, oh, I didn't like that answer, so I just reject you. Well, that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes God is saying, this is what I'm doing for you. So suffering and difficulties have a purpose of testing and strengthening our faith. How many of you would say, I would like to have a deeper and more profound faith? Would you want that in your life? If you do, be careful. 
Because James is saying one, one of, not the exclusive way, but one of the ways God will strengthen your faith is through difficulty and adversity. So I guess I would just caution it with this. Be careful what you ask for. Because then when God answers that prayer, you can't resent him for loving you enough to answer it. Bill, you said you wanted a deeper and more profound faith. Go crawl under the house. Go fix the toilet. Go experience loss. Go experience this. God, I didn't sign up for this. Actually, you did, Bill. (laughs) Don't you remember you said you wanted to grow in your faith? Oh, yeah. Well, then embrace it. Go, God, this hurts. It's painful. Be honest about whatever it is. But then be able to say, God, let me see your greater plan and purpose in the middle of it. And so we look and we see that our faith then is tested and it's strengthened in the middle of all of this. And that our faith is tested so that it leads to steadfastness. What a great word. What a great Old Testament word. It's a covenant faithfulness. It is a faithfulness and a perseverance that endures. Some of your Bible translation says it leads to endurance. It it leads for you to be able to go through it, to make it through to the other end. You've heard the joke, don't ever pray for perseverance. God may give you the opportunity for it. That's kind of this here. He's saying... If you want to be steadfast, if you want to make it through, then I will send you things. I will do things. I will love you so much that I will bring about difficulties in your life that will strengthen your faith, that will galvanize it so much that you will be able to endure to the end. That you will be able to make it to the end. And there's this great statement in there. And he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect. I hate that statement. You know what that means? God, I will remain right here. And I'm not going to move. And I'm not going to waver. And I'm going to keep walking the line that you have called me to walk. And I'm going to walk the line of faith that you've called me to walk. And I'm going to follow you in this. And I don't know how long whatever it is that I'm experiencing is going to go. But I'm going to let it have its full effect on me. I get frustrated when I have to have popcorn that takes a little over a minute and a half to get done. I get frustrated when I have to go through the drive through line and wait Or you're sitting at Chick-fil-A at 12.30, which is a nuts thing to do anyway. And you wonder and you're frustrated that people are circling the building and you've got to get in there fast. We want things when we want them, how we want them, incredibly fast and incredibly quickly. He's saying, let this have its effect. Let it work its way out in your life. He's saying, be still. Be still. And keep Walking forward. You're going, Bill, be still and keep walking. That seems to be the contrast. Your heart be still and stayed upon him. And keep walking forward in the middle of it all. Let it have its full effect on you. For it will lead to this steadfastness in your life. Have you ever been around somebody who really has that steadfastness in their life? Aren't they amazing? And you may look at them and say, this person's unflappable. But if you were to go and actually talk to that person, they would say, no, inside there's quite a storm that brews regularly. But you know one thing I know more than anything else, my God is still on his throne. 
And he is faithful to me. He's always been faithful to me. He's been faithful to his word. Therefore, it doesn't matter. It's no need for me to get all bent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need for me to get all worked up over this because I trust him. It's not just to throw up your hands and let go and let God. I hate bumper sticker theology. It's never that. It is actually throw your hands closer and cling more tightly to him. This is to say this hurts. This is painful. This is difficult. But the one thing I know in the middle of it is you are there and I trust you. And I trust you to see me through to the very end of it. Even though my flesh and my body fail. You never will. So he says that steadfastness, ultimately these difficulties lead us to become perfect and complete. What great language there. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't run away from it too soon. Don't hit the eject button too soon. Don't try to get out of it. Let it have its full effect in your life. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I wonder if I started this sermon off this way and said, okay, how many of you would like to be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing? You would all raise your hands and go, I'm in for that one. And I say, be careful because the way that you become perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing isn't necessarily the easiest road. But what you have to determine in your mind is what God offers. Is it worth it? It's a value decision on your part, folks. For the Christian and the non-Christian sitting in this room, it is a value decision for you. You have to look at this scripture, you have to look at this verse, and you have to say, is it valuable enough for me to have a deep perfection? Not that you're not going to be without mistakes, but you're going to be made righteous. You're going to be perfected in that. You're going to be steeled in that way, in a good way. That you're going to be perfect and whole and complete and given life. Is it worth making it through? Is it worth going through whatever it is that you've gone through? Peter says, the difficulties of this life are so small. They seem huge, but in comparison to what? A value decision. In comparison to what I gain in heaven. In comparison to what I gain in Christ. It seems as if nothing in this life. I failed to do it again. But imagine if you could. uh, A piece of fishing wire. That started somewhere over in this corner. And went all the way back in that corner. And on that fishing wire. I took a, a mark. A black mark. And just dotted it right there. You know what that black mark represents? It represents our life. In the midst of eternity. And he's saying, I've promised you all of this for that much. You can endure. You can make it in the middle of all of this. He says, because guess what? There's one who already did. If you ever fail to see it, he says, there's one who already did. And that's where we lead to this next uh, point. He says that navigating life's difficulties requires a wisdom that's from above. Verses 5 to 11 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and the withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Why do you need wisdom? I guess the first question under that thing, uh, the point being navigating life's uh, 
difficulties requires wisdoms. Why do you need wisdom? It's a real simple answer. You don't currently have it. It doesn't take much to be a Bible scholar, right? Ask the question of the scriptures. Why would I have to ask for wisdom? Oh, I guess I have to ask for wisdom because I don't currently have the wisdom that he's talking about. What wisdom do I have? What I have is an earthly wisdom that's bound to this world, that is bound to the fallenness and the nature of this world, and therefore it's not a wisdom that will help me understand and see things. The wisdom that you gained through the how-to-do books, the wisdom that you gained through the pop psychology books, is not how to gain a greater perspective on life. It's how to simply get through it. It's a how-to book. What Jesus is saying, or what James is saying here, is it's not about the how-tos. What you've got to ask for is a wisdom so that you can step above and beyond it, in a sense, and see the end from the beginning. That You can step out and you can go, okay, I don't fully understand all of this stuff, and by, if I was God, I'd probably do things a little differently, but I'll concede that I'm not God. Therefore, I will trust that God has his way and his purpose, and I will trust him in the midst of that. And I will fight with him in my heart, and I will wrestle with him And I will trust him, though, at the end of the day. And I will gain a wisdom that is beyond this world because the wisdom of this world is something like this. C.S. Lewis gave the great illustration of the little boy who's playing with the mud puddles. And he's making his little castle in the mud puddles and his parents come to him and they say, hey, sweetie, come on, get out of the mud puddle. Uh, We've got a vacation at at Hilton Head lined up. And we're going to go down to the beach and we're going to make sandcastles and we're going to see a dolphin and we're going to play in the waves and you're going to see the beauty of a sunrise and it's going to be awesome. And the little kid goes, I'm really quite content here with my mud puddles. What does that little child need? He needs a different perspective. He needs a wisdom that says, you're seeing things wrongly. Are those things good? Yeah, they're good. But they can't deeply satisfy you. There's something more that you can have. There's something beyond that. And too many of us have been satisfied. Lewis is great. He says, it's not that your passions are too great. It's that they're too easily satisfied. You're satisfied with milk. You're satisfied with Melba toast. You're satisfied with carnival food. And Jesus is saying, I've laid out a banquet table for you. I've laid out a life for you that is filled in such a way that the only way for you to experience this is to trust me. And that the only way that you can trust me is to believe that my wisdom is greater than your wisdom. You know how a fool becomes wise? He acknowledges that he's a fool. You know why a wise person in the world's eyes, doesn't ever really gain wisdom because he's, if he, he or she is, will not admit that they're a fool. So are you willing to admit that your wisdom is foolishness? And the way that you van- your, your vantage point and the way you understand things may not be the right way. Are you willing to humble yourself in the middle uh, of those things? For you see, we need wisdom for the very basic point that we simply lack it fundamentally. That we lack it fundamentally you know what one of the greatest trials and difficulties is in life it's right here in verses 9 through 11 but we need a wisdom to see it it's interesting in this verse let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and with it withers with the grass it flowers fall and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits one of the most dangerous trials, one of the most dangerous difficulties in this world is wealth. It's prosperity. 
And only a wise person in the midst of their prosperity would say, I'm a fool if I believe that my, good, my happiness and my contentment is tied to this stuff. Because as soon as it starts sinking, guess who goes down with it? What you have to seek is a wisdom beyond this world that says, God, show me where I have tied my affections to this world. Show me where I've tied my affections to something that is going to go down one day. And would you break that tie? Would you snap it? Now, the snapping of it may be very difficult. But that's what, that's what James is saying. He's saying, folks, be careful. And we live in an affluent area. It doesn't mean all of us are affluent. We've had this discussion before. But in comparison to the rest of the world, folks, guess what? We're doing just fine. We're doing just fine. And the difficulty is we're doing just fine. And we've tied our wisdom to this wisdom. When Jesus is saying, you've got to step back and gain a wisdom only by asking God for it. And he uses some language here of asking in faith. And, and if you don't ask in faith, what he's saying is basically this. Asking your faith is in the faith of the one who is the one to give it to you. To believe that he is good and that he will give it. Going to Proverbs says, blessed is the man who asks for wisdom, who seeks for wisdom. Blessed is the one who comes because I will promise you I'll give it to you if you ask for it. So today, guess what we should be doing? Here's your homework for today. And then we'll wrap up on this. God... Would you show me my foolishness? And would you grant me your wisdom in the middle of it? He may surprise you with some things. They may be difficult. And then if you're, if you're willing, go even further. God, would you help me to place my faith only in you and tie my hopes, dreams, and aspirations to you and not to this world and the things of this world? And if you do that, you may see that he takes away some things that you thought you had to have. But I'm looking around this room and I'm seeing some folks who've walked through some pretty crazy stuff. Difficult and difficult things in their lives. And you know what most of them would say to you? I'm okay. Because in the middle of that difficulty, in the middle of that storm, I knew I had one who already walked through a storm. I'm... Walked through it with one who was wounded for my transgressions. Who was beaten. Who gained a crown of life on my behalf. And then gives it to me. We'll end with this verse. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Which God has promised to those who love him. You know how you get the crown of life? It's not just making it through to the end. And the crown that James is talking about here would be much more uh, of a Roman Greco understanding of a crown, which would have been that of a runner in the Olympics who finished and was crowned with that beautiful little wreath. It's not the glorious kingdom crown with jewels and all of that in there, but it's this picture of saying, as you endure, as you make it to the end, there's something at the end that is so good for you. And there's one standing at the end who's saying to you, you can make it. You can make it. And I know you can make it because I already did. There's no trial that you will experience. There's no suffering that you will experience that Christ hasn't experienced ten times over. For he was forsaken and beaten for us. He who had no sin became sin on our behalf. Why? That we could make it through to the end. And that's good news. That's good news. This last week, I don't know if you watched on uh, 
TV, there was a softball game. It was a women's softball game, and it was a championship game, and one team was winning by a bunch, and the team that was winning was up to bat, and a young woman hit a home run. She crushed it over the fence, and as she's running around the bases, she got to second base, and her right knee absolutely locked up, and she collapsed in a pile at second base, and the most amazing thing happened. The pitcher and the second baseman from the opposing team picked her up and put her on their shoulders, and they helped her run around and get to home plate. And I thought, in that is just a little glimpse of the fact of you may be going through and you're laying there in a heap at second base. And you're saying, I can't make it to the goal. This table is for you. It's for one who says, I've attained the goal for you. And I will come and carry you through to the end if you trust me. If you trust me and come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll get you through to the end. Is that encouraging news today? Because let's go back again to some fundamentals, and I'll pray. Who's experiencing difficulties in this life? Anybody? Here's some good news for you. Jesus is absolutely right there with you, and he's walking with you. The king of the universe who has overcome all things, and he says, stay with me, stay real close to me, and I'll get you to the end. And so when you look up, See him. See a cross. See Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of all that we have in you. And in some way, we thank you even for the difficulties that come in this life. We praise you for them. We don't necessarily enjoy them. They don't feel good. But Father, we understand the ultimate end of all these things is that we would be more like your son. And that's what we want, to be more like our Savior Christ. So we're going to pray a very bold prayer, God. Do with us as you see fit. Do with us as you see fit. And we will trust you in the middle of it. Thank you for this table. Prepare our hearts now as we come. To Christ be the glory. Amen.